Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. I'm your host, Allison Jones, and today I'm joined by a panel of distinguished guests from Raintree. I'm pleased to welcome Vita Colmer, General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer, Catherine Rigda, Director of Product Management, and Caitlin Beal, Regulatory Architect. Ladies, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you guys here. So today we're diving into a very important topic for clinics, the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule Final Ruling, and specifically what it means for your clinic. We have a lot to unpack, so I'm not going to waste any time. We're just going to jump right into my questions. So first up, Vita, for those that may not be familiar, can you give us a quick summary of the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule Final Rule and its purpose? Yep, sure thing. So the Medicare obviously was created by Congress, but they can't manage it. And the Center for Medicare Medicaid Services manages it. And in 1992, they created the physician fee schedule as a way to start setting those reimbursement fees. Now, back then, Medicare was all fee for service. We all know that Medicare is migrating to value-based care so every year, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services releases updates to their fee physician, you know, their fee per visit schedule. And that also includes any pricing on their CPT codes. And the new rules also include updates to the value-based programs such as MIPS. One of the key components of the physician fee schedule is the Medicare Part B conversion factor. Catherine, can you tell me what the decision was for this year and how that impacts rehab therapy? Yeah, so the conversion factor is, is one of the elements that Medicare used to calculate the final payment for a, a variety of their CPT codes. And so because Medicare have a neutral budget requirement, whenever they make changes to the fee schedule, that um, they have to make adjustments to uh, offset those changes. So this year, the final rule implemented a 3.4% reduction in uh, the cost uh, in the conversion factor for 2024. This will impact more than 27 specialties, which does include therapy, um, with a corresponding reimbursement reduction. Uh, unfortunately, now that that final rule has been published, the only way that we can make any changes there is for Congress to step in and act. Over the last three years, they have acted at the last minute to neutralize the conversion factor cuts for that current year, but each year it's been a, that temporary measure just for that current calendar year. This year, we did have the passing of the temporary government funding bill um, earlier in November. And so we are not anticipating any action uh, towards addressing the conversion factor cuts until January of 2024. Um, so we do encourage all of our providers and patients to contact your local legislatures and professional organizations to voice your opposition uh, to these cuts while we still have that window of opportunity. Absolutely. Your voice matters. So. Uh, Catherine, there were some other notable changes that came down in the final ruling uh, for therapy. Can you speak to those? Yeah, there were some fairly significant changes for therapy. Um, one is a correction to a, a prior mistake from CMS. So it's always nice when they can make a correction, um, which uh, impacted institutional uh, or 
a therapist providing services, telehealth services in an institutional setting. So what this will do is allow our PTs in our institutional services to continue to participate um, in providing telehealth services using the 95 modifier through the extension that's currently in place through the end of 2024. Some of the other changes that we also uh, saw were uh, some changes to the remote therapeutic monitoring codes, where our treatment management codes, 98980 and 98981, while those will continue to be based on time spent performing the actual monitoring, they remove the requirement for those codes to also require 16 days of active data collection. So that's going to make it simpler for providers to determine when a patient is appropriate to bill those codes for remote therapeutic monitoring. We had a few changes um, with some in uh, new codes that are now available for therapists to bill for. Um, PTOT and SLP now have the opportunity to uh, bill for caregiver codes, which will allow therapy providers to bill for individual and group caregiver training when the patient is not present. Um, and that has historically not been permitted. Um, there was also a little bit of positive movement in regards to supervision of PTAs. Um, while we did get finalization of a general only supervision for remote therapeutic monitor in any setting, uh, we also got an extension of virtual supervision for PTAs and OTAs through the 2024 um, year, but we did not get any additional permanent changes to the requirements for direct supervision of PTAs in a private practice. There was lots of discussion there, so we're hoping that that's something that will come in the future. Excellent. So some good news there uh, with some of those changes. That's great to hear. So Caitlin, um, the final rule also evaluates changes to the merit-based incentive payment system or more commonly known as MIPS. Can you tell me what what is MIPS? Sure. Um, so MIPS originated back in 2017 and CMS took um, three historic programs, the PQRS program, value-based modifier program and the meaningful use program and sunset those and created this new MIPS program under the macro legislation. Um, so this is really the purpose is to score clinicians for their Medicare payment adjustment, whether that be a negative adjustment, neutral or positive, and they are scored in three or excuse me, four areas, quality, improvement activities, promoting interoperability and cost. So when you say uh, when you say negative or positive, mm -hmm. what what does that mean? They they, they can get a um, more of an incentive or less of an incentive. So it's written in the legislation that clinicians can re receive upwards of a nine percent um, positive payment adjustment. We have not really seen that since the program originated. Um, however, we have seen negative neutral payment adjustments, meaning that clinicians will owe money to CMS um, down to negative 9% penalty. Um, so again, the program is budget neutral. So really it's monies paid in, allocates um, monies earned to other clinicians. Um, so that's really what that means at a high level. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. So Vita, there were, so, there were some other notable changes to the MIPS program this year. Can you give us a high-level overview of what some of those changes are? Sure. So as Caitlin mentioned, MIPS has always had four categories. However, rehabilitation providers only had to participate 
in two of the categories, the quality measures and the improvement activities. Prior to this year, the promoting interoperability category was reweighted so that it, there were not scored against the rehabilitation therapists. And then co- there were no cost measures that applied to rehabilitation therapists, but this year that has changed. So it, with the final rule, CMS requires rehab therapists to participate in promoting interoperability. And one of the foundational requirements is adoption of a certified electronic health record. And then there are other requirements. And then also participation in the cost measure. Um, and this the cost measure category is a little bit different because there aren't measures that you report to CMS. They collect information on the background, um, but... Now there's a low back pain measure that they will start collecting data on and evaluating cost. And those may result in an, in an incentive for rehab providers in the future or um, the downward adjustment. And then there was also the creation of a second um, path for MIPS called the MVP pathways. So it's been a big year for changes. So, Vita, let me ask you, why why do we think some of these changes are happening now? Well, CMS has, CMS and Congress have set this vision that they want all healthcare providers to begin collaborating, and that means sharing data. Working in silos and not communicating is not cost effective, and it doesn't provide good quality care. So if um, providers adopt electronic health records, connect all those records and start sharing data, then the cost will be better, the healthcare will be more efficient, and patients will get better quality care. So that's the big vision. And requiring all um, MIPS-eligible clinicians to participate in promoting interoperability means that now CMS can start to encourage all types of providers to connect and to share data, but you can't connect disparate systems. You want to make sure that you have systems that have structured data sets and that these systems also don't introduce security issues, which is where the certification comes in. And then in terms of the MV, the um, MIPS MVP pathways, CMS is trying to create um, you know, subsets of data reporting so that clinicians aren't scrambling around looking for quality measures and um, their reporting methods are more efficient. So this is the future of MIPS, is the MIPS value pathways. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. So Catherine, uh, so Zavita was talking a little bit about promoting the promoting interoperability category um, and some of the changes that have taken place here. So it's no longer reweighted. So what are the requirements for successfully attesting to PI? Yeah. So there, yeah, this is a, a big change in the therapy world because it's something that most of our therapy providers have not previously participated in. So you have to think about promoting interoperability as really all focused on the, the safe and secure transfer of patient-related health data between organizations and providers to improve continuity of care and patient safety. That's the big picture goal that CMS is trying to encourage um, with this. 
So there's multiple components that have to be um, put together to allow you to successfully report promoting interoperability. The first section of the, uh, the category is a series of attestations which all relate to safety and kind of general interoperability. The organization has to complete a security risk analysis. There's an annual safety self-assessment using the safer guides that have been published by, by CMS and shared that all have to be completed. And the utilization of a certified DHR to make sure that all of that data that's being uh, transferred is being transferred both securely and in a, in a a format that is readable. But from there, it then gets a little bit more broken down um, into four uh, areas that are actually measured and scored. Um, there's four main objectives that have to be completed if they're within the provider scope of practice. The first is e-prescribing, which most of our therapy providers are not eligible for. They would take an exclusion in that section because it's outside their scope of practice. They're not um, prescribing medications. Uh, the next section, our objective, is health information exchange, which is provider-to-provider -provider exchange of health-related data. Um, there's a couple of different ways that people can opt in or, or report this section. They can use uh, participation with a, a bi-directional data exchange using uh, an HIE or a health information exchange uh, platform. Or there's also the option to utilize uh, and to support electronic referral loops by sending and receiving electronic summary of care documents. I, and while most of our therapy providers don't send formal referrals, what we're seeing in the industry is that because we are accepting referrals from our physicians, the physicians are opting uh, to send these referrals in use, by using their transition of care documents so that the physicians can meet their requirements. And by receiving those requirements, we're not only helping our physicians to meet their um, requirements, the providers are then required to reconcile the information against patient safety, make sure everything that is completed inside um, the, the incoming provider uh, or the receiving provider's documentation. I, so that's the health information exchange. While you're not maybe referring, our therapy providers are definitely accepting and receiving uh, referrals. The third objective in um, promoting interoperability is provider to patient exchange. So that's about providing our patients access to their health information, which is typically done using a safe and secure patient portal. And the last objective is public health and clinical data exchange. And so that's requiring providers to coordinate and report relevant health data to their public health registry. Again, many therapy providers might be exempt from this based on their scope of practice, but it's entirely based on the individual jurisdiction. So we highly recommend that uh, groups that are reporting promoting interoperability check into their local area and what are the requirements of their local health um, uh, or uh, health jurisdiction so that they can make sure that if they're required to submit data for specific um, health uh, items that they are doing that. Thank you. So, C Catherine, one of the requirements under promoting interoperability is that you have to use an ONC certified EHR. Why is that such a big deal? So it's it's a big deal because that certification means that that EHR has gone through a series of rigorous testing to ensure that their data is safe and secure, it's being transmitted um, appropriately in all of the appropriate formats, and that it's using standardized formatting that can be read and accepted by other certified EHRs. Why it's important to our providers 
is that uh, that promoting interoperability cannot be reported if you are not using a certified EHR. Promoting interoperability makes up 25% of your total MIT score. So if you cannot report PI because you're not using that certified EI or, or EHR, then you are, are automatically taking a zero in that category which is a significant reduction to your potential score, and as Caitlin talked about earlier, your potential incentive reimbursement. So if a practice is not on a certified EHR today, what can they do to, to uh, rectify? How much time do they have to get on that certified EHR? So the promoting interoperability category has to be reported for 180 days out of the calendar year. So you have to be using the certified EHR for the entirety of that 180 days, which essentially would be would start the beginning of uh, July of 2024 and take you through the end of the calendar year. So there is time to make sure that you're meeting those requirements and do transitions and make sure or uh, connect with your EHR to make sure that they have all of the components that you require. Okay, excellent. Thank you. So, Vita, I'm going to switch over to you. So, there are uh, there are such things as hardship exceptions um, that uh, practices or clinics can apply for. So, uh, can a practice just apply for a hardship exception in, in in this case if they don't have a certified EHR? Well, technically, they can. Those hardship exceptions are available to them, but keeping in mind that CMS's goal is interoperability. This is what they want, and they're heavily pushing for this because it's going to provide better care. So they will construe the requirements for the hardship exception very narrowly. There are two. One is the extreme and uncontrollable circumstances, and the second one is the promoting interoperability hardship exception. Um, Both of them yeah, if you apply, you'll present facts as to why you qualify for that exception, and then they'll review those facts. Um, and I just wanted to to quickly look at the requirements for the promoting interoperability. Um, under this hardship exception, they list some of the factors that would would render you, you know, a qualified candidate for the hardship exception. Uh, ones that for some reason your EHR was decertified during that reporting period or you had internet issues, severe internet issues, um, or there was a terrible disaster that affected your practice. CMS does say on their website um, that they will not consider unavailability of a certified EHR as qualifying for the hardship exception. So they have already said that they will not consider that a factor. And then the other point to keep in mind is that hardship exceptions are granted each year. So you'd have to apply each year and take the risk that you're not granted that hardship exception. And there is there is a belief that CMS does cap the number of hardship exceptions they will grant for a provider. So it's not guaranteed that you could do that every year. Okay, that, that's that's great advice. It's good to know that. Um, so Caitlin, there is an alternative way to meet MIPS reporting requirements. Can you speak uh, to the MIPS value pathways and the development of uh, MVP reporting for PTs and OTs? Yes. Um, So there's always been kind of two paths to participating in MIPS. There's been traditional MIPS and then 
um, alternative payment models. And so what CMS has done is added another voluntary way to report called MIPS Value Pathways. Um, and there is a therapy-specific MVP that is available called Rehabilitative Support for Musculoskeletal Care. Um, and so what they've done with MVPs is they've made it more clinically relevant um, to the providers that would report under the MVP. Um, traditionally, there is a requirement to report six quality measures, and in the MVP, there is a minimum requirement of four quality measures. Still, um, two medium-weighted or one high-weighted improvement activity, um, the same promoting interoperability reporting requirements, and then the addition of one cost measure for low back pain, and that is scored on administrative claims. Excellent. Thank you. And Vita, why are these uh, MVPs important? CMS has said in the final rule that they plan to sunset traditional MIPS and move all participants, all eligible clinicians to the MVP pathways by 2030. So one day this reporting method will not be voluntary. So this is an opportunity for rehab providers to voluntarily report and test their skills in this area and identify issues early on. The, the other way that MVPs are important is that it's hard to find measures for rehab therapists to report on, especially when the measures get topped out and they're, um, you know, they're sunset or decommissioned, then the therapists have to find other measures. So CMS is trying to make, to group measures into certain categories and make things easier for providers so that their reporting requirements are more efficient. So this is an opportunity for um, for therapy and rehab to start considering MVPs as as a as a way of reporting moving forward before that twenty thirty deadline. This is comes the way in the future. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and Caitlin, th- there are also some changes to consider around quality measures and improvement activities. Can you tell me a little bit more about those? Yeah, so I think the the first thing to mention um, as it relates to quality measures is that they have increased the data completeness requirement. Um, So the data completeness requirement in 2023 or for this current reporting year is 70%, and they had finalized to um, increase that to 75%. So for all data collected on quality measures, um, the data completeness, meaning it meets the numerator, Um, is 75%. So that increase is very important. Um, The other change that we saw was that they, CMS elected to remove measure 128, the BMI measure from traditional MIPS reporting. Um, This means that that measure is still available for MVP reporting, but it's not um, part of traditional MIPS. So that's, that's a pretty big change. And there's also a handful of new measures that CMS added, um, but we're waiting on final coding updates to see kind of which ones fall into the therapy therapy category. Um, and then for improvement activities, there are five new improvement activities for 2024. And I think the one that is most notable um, since we've talked about MVPs is um, clinicians can actually attest with a new improvement activity that they have adoption in their 
in the practice um, for the MIPS value pathway. So there's a new um, improvement activity and way to attest to the MVP usage. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Well, this topic is really complex um, and uh, uh, we're just covering sort of the, the tip of the iceberg here. Um, and we can only cover so much uh, during during this podcast, but we do have some great resources available for those that are interested in learning more. Um, we are launching a resource center on our website, uh, raintreeinc.com. You can find it under our resources navigation tab. This is going to have uh, webinars, blog posts, podcasts, and uh, lots more for you to dig into and expand your knowledge. Uh, so we do encourage you to go visit the site and, and take a look and um, consume all of that knowledge. Uh, but we are out of time for today. I do want to thank Vita, Catherine, Caitlin for joining us and uh, sharing all of this great information. There's so much to consume and learn about uh, the final ruling and about MIPS and the MVPs. Um, so thank you. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to the Therapy Matters podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, Therapy and Rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end -end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.